A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to British Indie Film Club, a new limited podcast series brought to you by Biffa and Little White Lies magazine, where we meet some of the most exciting voices from the British independent film world. I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Karis Aldridge. And today we are going to be speaking to actor Papa Asiedu about his career on stage and screen and his favourite British film. So as previous listeners already know, each episode will be meeting a talented actor or director to find out how they got their break in film, what they love most about their profession and what the future holds. To celebrate Biffa's 25th birthday, we'll also be asking our guests to discuss a film from the Biffa archives, either a cult classic or a contemporary gem from the past 25 years. For those of you who are regular listeners to Truth and Movies, you may recognise me. I'm a film critic, broadcaster and columnist. And I'm a film sales exec and podcast host. I've worked across film sales, marketing and distribution on UK independent films and participated in the Creative England Producing course, which supports emerging UK producers. So this week, we have the wonderful BAFTA and Emmy-nominated Papa Esiedu, who listeners will recognise from a number of massive projects, including critically celebrated BBC and HBO show I May Destroy You, the sci-fi thriller The Lazarus Project, Kiri, Men, and the most recent series of Black Mirror in an episode titled Demon 79. I don't know about you, Karis, that was... Demon 79 was the best episode of Black Mirror in years, I think. Definitely the best of the season for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Oh, I don't know if I... Yeah, I'm trying to think if it was my my favourite of the series. It would be probably tied up there with Jonah's Awful, just because that is such a fun one. But definitely a really, really great episode. And I think a bit more reminiscent of the the early Black Mirror stuff as well. Yeah, before it got too, like, unspeakably bleak. But it is interesting (laughs) to think that, like, you know, something like Black Mirror now has, like, such big stars on it. We had, like, Selma Hayek in the series, Kate Blanchett, well, kind of, briefly. (laughs) You know, like, Aaron Paul, Josh Hartnett. Um, Like, there doesn't seem to be that distinction between what makes you a movie actor and a TV actor. I mean, it's kind of been going on for a while, but it really feels that that boundary has broken. Absolutely. I feel like for me, the biggest test of that was Harrison Ford in Shrinking and actually Meryl Streep in um, Big Little Lies, because I think they are actors who are so known as like film actors. And to see them on a smaller screen, I don't know why that felt like such a big deal. But yeah, I think a lot of that comes with the fact that prestige TV is really at an all time high at the moment. And I think for the ability of actors to be able to indulge in the character development of something over a limited series of six to ten episodes as opposed to 90 minutes is something that they love and want to do more of and yeah like budgets are huge for prestige tv now so i think the the a lot of these film actors are like hell yeah I'm probably better paid. I don't know. I actually don't know that. So <laughs> don't quote me on that. I don't know that I will ever recover from the fact that we didn't get a season two of I May Destroy You. <laughs> but I there know. is some good stuff in the works. I mean, part of my work is I review TV and there is a really, really excellent show called Dreaming Waltz Black, which I think is going to at least a little bit fill that void for us and very much going into those themes of like being a creative pe- black person within these industries like how you kind of get treated um, in various different ways, but also that like exploration of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what it means to kind of almost have have like a solidarity within a community that is in no way a monolith. Um, I'm very excited for you to see that. But 
Karis, if you go to see Talk to Me, I'm not I'm <laughs> not going to hang out with you for a, a few weeks because I'm, I'm going to need you to recover for a while. <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah, no, I will let you know immediately. It'll probably be like a very shaky voice note of me just being like I will never be the same um but yeah. no that's that that sounds really good I'm excited to to hear more about that honestly interviewing Papa was a very surreal experience it was it was a zoom conversation which I think actually worked in my favor because if I'd seen him in person I think I would have combust a little bit because I'm also a huge huge fan of I May Destroy You and think his work in that was fantastic. I know that him and Michaela Cole went to uni together and they've been like long time, long term friends and collaborators and stuff. So I think he's very like cool and nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, I just did this project my friend did and wrote or whatever. Um, but yeah, I I was like, I'm I'm sad that I couldn't dig into it more with him because we had such a short amount of time to to chat. But yeah, I was just like, oh my God, tell me more. Kwame, I love you. Oh, that's that's what's going on in my head, obviously. Professional. I wish there was more. I just need I think we all just need a bit more Michaela Cole in our life generally, don't we? She's such a talent. She's incredible. And listeners, do not fear. I have listened to the audio. It is a brilliant interview, and at no point does she call him Kwame. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, Papa, thank you so, so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's fantastic to be here, man. I love I love this podcast. So I felt I felt very very privileged to be invited to be um, to be a part of it. No, we're so excited to have you on this, and listeners will recognise you from a number of massive projects that you've been a part of, including you know the critically celebrated BBC and HBO show I May Destroy You, sci-fi thriller The Lazarus Project, Kiri, Alex Garland's Men, and many many more. Without trying to like embarrass you, because I realise it must be <laughs> weird to hear all of your accomplishments back at you. You know, you're BAFTA and Emmy nominated. You're a winner of an Independent Spirit Award, and in only a decade, you've already got 27 acting credits under your belt which is pretty damn impressive because you are oh good you're booked and busy yeah i'm trying to pay mortgage out here you know so we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis we've got to do what we can yeah we're all feeling it man we're all feeling it but you know your projects which i'm hoping that we'll get a chance to dig into are all working with you know some of the best uk filmmakers and showrunners which must be an absolute dream on your part I, i imagine so um yeah i wanted to rewind go back early doors in your career and kind of talk a little bit about your training at Guildhall. Um, I don't know, is it right that you actually turned down a place at UCL for medicine to take on a very prestigious role at Guildhall? Is that true? I actually turned down a role at UCL to do medicine, to do nothing, actually, to to do a year out. And I had nothing planned. So that was the real madness. You know, it's different if you're like, I'm saying no to that. And you're like, hey, I'm going to this great drama school. So don't worry, it's all good. But when you're saying no to that, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to work in the cult pharmacy around the corner for (laughs) for, four quid an hour. Um, Yeah, my mum wanted to get my head tested. But like, yeah, I think anyone's very lucky if they know what they want to do at that age, you know, at 17, 18 years old. And I was fortunate that I kind of had a little bit of a kind, not even an epiphany, but at least like a moment of inspiration of what my life could look like, you know, but it could have it turned out very differently. Yeah, I mean, it turned out very, very well. So I feel like, you know, trusty gut on that one. And I feel like it's interesting because I think it's kind of debated whether or not how what how important it is to train professionally and like whether or not it's a good idea to go to a drama school and how paramount it is to you know like an actor's success I was wondering from your perspective like what was your experience of Guildhall and like what were the big pros and cons of being there I mean the, the pros are very pro and the cons are very con you know mm. like, I, 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 I really do not think that there is one a one a one size fits all entry point into this industry or as a foundation for this career you know like I think some people knew I I really had to go to drama school because I really didn't know anything at all I didn't know any actors I didn't know I didn't really know anything about how like television or film or theatre was made I really thought it was about like speaking as loud as you can and using your hands as much as you could you know there was a very rudimentary um basis of my if, if you saw me performing at 18 years old like you wouldn't have said that this guy would still be here 10 15, 10 12 years later but for me yeah guilt was first time I was in a I was in a room with people who 
who respected craft, you know, and respected the idea of acting being an artistry and that required like an understanding of your body and an understanding of your voice and text work and yeah I mean it mean it meant I started going to watch plays and I started watching films in a different way and started like following actors and and so on and so forth so for me I had to do it but like a lot of the actors that I've worked with that a lot of the best actors I've worked with have, have not done that you know so it, it, it's a it's a different it's a different kettle of fish for each individual person yeah absolutely I think it definitely really depends on you you know your background and the type of things that you're interested in but yeah that's really fascinating and I feel like it was for you also a great crash course in theatre and Shakespeare I mean if you look at again your your back your body of work you've worked in um, Midsummer Night's Dream King Lear you played the titular role in Hamlet age only 25 years old which is insane and more recently the Olivier nominated show a number at the Old Vic um, I'm always really interested about acting for theatre and acting on screen. Do you find that your method or your process when you're approaching a character is very different for the two? I don't really think so, if I'm honest. Like, I always want to do the other when I'm doing one. So when I'm doing a play, I always want to be doing a film or a TV. And when I'm doing a TV, I always want to be doing a play, you know. So I've just I've just been shooting for maybe eight months or something like that and I'm about to do a play and I'm really excited about it you know but I reckon about like probably three days since that play I'm gonna be like oh my god I need to get back on set <laughs> I, I think the 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 pursuit is the same if I'm honest like you're really about like finding you're know, building a scaffolding or building a foundation of a character that's rooted in truth and rooted in authenticity and both mediums are very unforgiving if you don't do that you know so like if you're on if you're on set and what you're doing is not truthful the camera will just see it you know any thought that flickers across your eyes that isn't quite in line with what the character's going through the camera will pick it up and expose you it's exactly the same in in theater when you're on stage um, if you're not fully committed to what you're doing, or if 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 you're if you're not in synergy with the other actors and with the audience that you're you're sharing that space with, the audience you lose them. You start seeing people like shuffling in their chairs and they start coughing. No one's laughing at the bits that are meant to be funny. No one's crying at the bits that are meant to be sad. And you can always feel it in the applause at the end of the of of, of a bad play. Like the the applause is like polite as opposed to enthusiastic. You know, so. I think I think the the endeavor is always for something for me at least is always like at, at at the top to find something that's truthful and authentic before like before thinking about is it screen is it is it stage and um I actually listened to a really interesting podcast of you it was like an actors on actors with you and David Tennant I don't actually know how long ago it was recorded but it was really cool because obviously he's also played Hamlet and you guys really came to that character at very different times in your career. And I was wondering what it's like taking on such an iconic character where we've seen so many iterations of it. Do you feel like an immense pressure to make it your own? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, I mean, for me, it was a different pressure because like at the time that I was doing it, Benedict Cumberbatch had just done it in London uh, to great acclaim. Andrew Scott was about to do it in London. I think Oscar Isaac was about to do it in New York. So there, oh, wow. there were these kind of like behemoths of the industry who are all like giving their danes or whatever whatever you want to say and whereas like for me like you said I was 25 no one knew who I was and I was doing that at the Royal Shakespeare Company you know the home of, of Shakespeare so I mean the pressure comes with like who do you think you are to be able to be taken on this thing that is meant to be the realm of like you know the, the these names famous whatever but uh, the pressure was also di different because people didn't know who I was the the expectation was different so I, I I was able to kind of just like give my own interpretation or give my own I was able to re really just concentrate on doing the play as opposed to being a famous person doing the play mm. you know which is which is a different which is a different challenge you know like you're dealing with people like I remember with Benedict's one particularly there was a real problem with people's phones and people like recording him doing to be or, or not to be or which bit of the play that how they'd like chopped it up and everything whereas with me people were like I was just lucky people turned up in the first place you know <laughs> so yeah it, the, the pressure was great it was great and the scrutiny was also great because there's a lot of like I suppose political language around like the the choice of me particularly as a black man doing it so I, I, a lot of my work was trying to like uh, shut that out and and, mm. and concentrate on the job at hand yeah because that, that must be quite difficult when you're like there's a lot of yeah the way that it was kind of spun from like a media perspective that must be quite like a difficult thing to kind of 
figure out. Um, I wanted to talk about short films because of your 27 credits, I was like really happily surprised to see that you've got a lot of short films on there. Because I think that short films are, I don't know, they're like, they're such a labour of love. And I think they're really perceived in the industry as a great way of showcasing someone's talent, if that's, you know, acting or writing or directing, or if it's a stepping stone to making that, that short a feature. But yeah, you've worked on some fantastic shorts. I mean, you've got Standstill, Bicycle Thief, Exit Plan, and of course, Femme in 2021, which won the Biffa for Best Short Film. And it's this very kind of subversive and unsettling story about Jordan, who gets into a car with this flirtatious drug dealer and the night takes this very kind of dangerous turn. And I thought it was interesting to bring up Hamlet, actually, because when I was reading like critical reviews, a lot of people made some kind of parallels between Hamlet and Femme in the way that it's also a bit of a revenge tragedy where the protagonist is seeking justice for his father. And I was wondering if you'd ever made that association or like what your kind of hot take would be on on that. I've got no hot takes whatsoever <laughs> like, at all. My takes are cold as hell. But like... <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's retrospectively that you you kind of like draw the links between between projects like that. And the thing about Femme, right, is from the first moment I met Sam and Ping, who were the writers and directors, there was a synergy in in us, you know, like Ping particularly had worked a lot in theatre and this was like his first kind of like foray into the screen and Sam had like written on industry and, you know, had been an actor and so on. There, there, there was a lot that we had going on we vibed a lot on a mental level and mm-hmm. an experiential level you know so I just really wanted to you know I mean you're so right like shorts are a labor of love but there's great freedom in shorts you know because they're so focused and because you, you haven't got the pressure of kind of like carrying a story over a 90 minute arc or whatever you can really 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 like um, drill down into detail and really d- drill down into finding something that's nuanced and impactful you know and I think I think they they did that masterfully and it's no that it's it's no surprise to me that um, it ended up doing as well as it did and then you know they went on to make it into the feature and that's also incredible and they're gonna have like such exciting careers everyone there, there are a lot of people that are very excited about their talent and rightly so and um it's so interesting you say that because I was about to say I think shorts are such a an exploration of, of discipline the fact that you have to create a whole story compelling characters in literally 10 to 20 pages is that what attracts you to the medium of storytelling yeah I think it's um and also you're doing it for no money like <laughs> you really are doing it for no yeah, money yeah. you're doing it in like two days and like there aren't any dressing rooms or toilets or food or you know but like there's like so much there's passion and there's commitment and there's community uh, in, in in the room which actually really reminds me of doing plays you know mm. similarly like no one's doing plays to get rich you know but like <laughs> people are doing plays to move people or mm. people are doing plays to make people laugh they, they, it, it really underpins the power of the story and I think it's the same with, with shorts and I, I've watched amazing shorts you know and been part of amazing shorts as well so um, I, I really hope that's something that continues to be a, um, a feature in my career because I don't at all kind of like look down my nose at it as uh, as some sort of lesser art form. I think it's actually like it's just something that's different. It's a different way of working to to, to television or more long form film. Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel like it's at all harder from an acting point of view to approach a character when you've got such little source text to work from because you're having to well, I imagine you're having to like create an entire backstory for someone from like, you know, a little line on a script. Do you find that more difficult or is it again more freeing? I, I, I don't think it's harder because number one, you've got to do that anyway. Whether it, whether it's short or long, you've got to do that anyway. Otherwise, like, it's kind of like what I said earlier on. If you don't really know what your character's doing or where they came from or how, you know, what happens like before the film started, what's going to happen after the film ends, if you don't do that kind of work, it's going to be thin. It's going to be two-dimensional. It's not going to have depth and, and nuance. So it's actually exactly the same thing. Um, and we've just actually seen like a, a shorter snapshot of what that character is going through you know mm, it, we, mm. we, and and ideally it leaves you wanting more you know it leaves you wanting to yeah. see more or it leaves you it, it, it's got that kind of titillating quality to it that kind of like gets your senses peaked 
that makes you want to come back for more. A good short does that. Anyway. Yeah, and Femme absolutely does that. And you and Harris are so good in it. It's, it's really, really great. I would recommend to anyone who hasn't had the chance to watch it. Um, I feel like I would massively kick myself if we don't talk very briefly about I May Destroy You, because honestly, when I say this, it is one of my favourite TV shows ever, I think will remain to be. It's, you know, obviously got nominated for the Emma and the BAFTA. It's BAFTA. <laughs> the BAFTA. <laughs> <laughs> the Emma and the BAFTA. The BAFTA. That's what yeah, they call that's it gonna in the be industry, a new thing. <laughs> Um, and it's with one of your old friends and collaborators Michaela Cole you guys worked on Black Earth Rising together I also really love that what was the most important thing about your character that you wanted audiences to take away from it because you know there's he goes through some really you know difficult and horrific experiences yeah what was that that main thing you wanted um, audiences to take away from it I think the thing about Kwame is that he's like forever he's he's forever surprising you know like every single um aspect of him that seems to like play into a stereotype or an expectation gets debunked over the course of 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 the you know we had we had 12 episodes which were like 12 short films you know but like every single time you thought he was this kind of guy he became that kind of guy and every time you thought he was going in this direction he started going in that direction and i really wanted to allow those i suppose the openness of his destiny to remain so even as that big things happened in his life. I didn't I, I I didn't want him to ever be become defined by any one thing that happened to him. And I think he, he him as a character also wanted that for himself. He wanted to, to have freedom to be able to identify him in whatever way he wanted and to be able to be unique in that and and self-defined in that. And yeah, I think it, it, it's definitely testament to the soulfulness of Michaela's writing and her understanding of humanity and, and people that, that helped to make that happen. So like when you're talking about it, it really reminds me of that thing. Um, Edward Enenfor, he when you guys met, he described you as like a force of change and challenging the stereotype of black men. And I think it kind of ties into what you, you're saying now. I feel like with Kwame and also with, you know, Femme and your character in Men, for example, you're, you seem drawn to stories that examine masculinity or discuss vulnerability and sexuality in men in a really nuanced way. Is that something that is really paramount to you or really, you know, it's a conscious choice in every project that you look to take on? Um, I don't know. I've, I, I think in every character, I'm definitely looking for what's on the other side of the coin. I'm looking to explore what their thoughts are when someone's not looking or when someone, when what what, what they're like when the marks, mask is on and what happens when they take it off. You know, like I am very drawn to characters that have complexity and that have conflict within them um I don't know what that that I don't know how that speaks to my own character and my own life but I'm drawn to that when I watch shows and when I watch films and when I listen to music and when I you know watch art and all of that I'm always like drawn to the to the unexpected and to the original so I get I, I guess I guess in a way that that's true and obviously this is the Biffa podcast and what we love to do is to ask our guests to pick a favourite film from the Biffa archive um, and you decided to go for Boiling Point which could quite accurately describe me in this London heatwave right now but um, yeah it was <laughs> released in 2021 by Philip Barantini. It is a sizzling and frenetic kitchen drama um, that is just one tension drenched shot. Why did you decide to choose this film? I mean I love it but yeah why why did you decide to choose this as your favorite biffa film i obviously think it's a fantastic film so i guess that's why (laughs) um but like yeah i think it's more to do with like the way it made me feel the first time i watched it and i've watched it maybe like three four times but like the first time i watched it it really made me feel in the set the same way as I feel when I'm in a theatre or in a gig or, you know, watching a, a sports game, tennis match or whatever, when like collectively everyone's holding their breath, you know, when you feel mm. like nobody in the room has breathed for like 30 seconds, you know, that level of tension, I think is very, very hard to generate uh, in other people to the point that they they stop thinking about, you know, their own bodily functions, you know, like there's no way, I defy you to watch that film and to be scrolling on Instagram or to be, you know, thinking about what you're having for dinner later on, maybe, maybe you'll be thinking about what you're having for dinner, but to be thinking <laughs> about like saying kills, you know, it, 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 I think it's a masterclass in in generating and, ho- and sustaining tension and, and, and the concentration of a, of a viewer. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel a lot of that kind of hinges on this unbelievable performance by Stephen Graham in the way that he's able to kind of the rise and fall of that tension that is, yeah, again, very like nuanced and that it's it's not just one uh, at one stage the whole time you know he's able to kind of move through it in a in a really interesting way and obviously it's being made into a tv show do you think you'll be watching the tv show yeah absolutely because i mean like you're right steven's performance in it is fantastic but like every single performance in yeah it's fantastic you know absolutely. if you like vinette robinson's incredible in it is it hoyle's incredible in it hannah waters is incredible in it like every like jason Fleming, like everybody is like like and that's the thing about like this like roving camera it you, you're never taken out of it because like there's just like a relentless realism and naturalism wherever the camera lands you know so mm. even on the smaller characters or even on those kind of like more sideline scenes i'm doing inverted commas for people who are listening they they, they there's something so like fully formed and fully lived in the, the opening scene with tom tom tommy coombs is like so so spot on it's just like fantastic i think it's fantastically performed fantastically directed and fantastically executed yeah absolutely do you feel like also i, I felt like it was a really interesting choice for you specifically as well because technically the fact that it is a one-shot film it does feel like this immersive play like we feel like sure. we are within it as well and I think does that also kind of lend itself to the theatre roots and that what you were saying as well about how it's such a collective that makes it so so sure. great and so immersive to watch do, do you yeah. think that's another reason that you feel so kind of connected to the story or so involved in it yeah I guess like, I've never done a one shot I've never done a one shot film before but like I can just imagine like the stress or imagine yeah. the um <laughs> the stakes you know you say one line wrong or you like hit one wrong mark and you've got to start again and I'm pretty sure with these these films like you only end up getting to do like two or three takes of it I think with this they did maybe two or four or something like that I think maybe and yeah I'm always just like endlessly impressed by the technical feat that is achieved to 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 make it happen and make it look so um so seamlessly easy you know so yeah I'm I'm, I'm sure that 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 plays into it a bit as well yeah absolutely no it's a fantastic film and yeah if anyone hasn't watched it already get to it because it's on Netflix so you <laughs> haven't got a reason not to yeah also Black Mirror I know we've got like literally about two minutes left and I'm sad that we haven't been able to chat about your new Black Mirror episode in more detail Demon seventy nine which I managed to watch yesterday is so good. It's amazing. Um, set in Northern England, 1979, about a meek sales assistant who is told she must commit these terrible acts to prevent disaster. Firstly, I hope you were able to keep that unbelievable outfit because I feel like that would be your <laughs> Halloween sorted. Did you? Yeah. Surely. Yeah. You know what? We like it, it looked great, but like we were we shot that last summer, you know, and it was a similar oh heat situation to what we're going through right now. So that was it was it was cloying. It was cloying. It was a, it was a tight fitting <laughs> outfit. So I don't think I don't think anyone wants to be near it. Oh no! <laughs> okay, that demystifies the whole thing. Okay, and what was it? <laughs> what um was it like working? Was Charlie Brooker was he on set? Were you able to like work with him and talk about the character and stuff a lot with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie and Bisher, who and um, Bisher Kayali co-wrote it with Charlie. They were both on set quite a lot and um super chill, super lovely, like what you see is what you get type people you know they're they're the kind of process is kind of shrouded in mystery anyway because it's black mirror and we were the mm. first one up we we shot ours before everybody else so oh, wow. we had like we had the full attention of everybody i don't know if everybody if if, if the other um uh, uh casts were as lucky but we had the full attention of everyone throughout our shoot so we were very fortunate in that in that sense and yeah it was a, it was such a joyful um incredible experience i've got to act with uh anjana varsin who is just like one of the most extraordinary actors on in this country in the world really right now and and we'll go on to do many 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 fantastic things but um yeah i loved it i loved it so much oh it's so great and i feel like i've been looking online and i think it's already ranked as one of the best of the season I think a lot of people really enjoy it because it's kind of going back to the early Black Mirror stuff and um, mm, mm. no I absolutely loved it I think it's great and um, just very exciting I realise I think we're running out of time so I'm gonna I'll leave it there <sighs> but I know <laughs> I'm like I could talk about this forever but um, no thank <laughs> you <laughs> 
<laughs> thank you so much massively massively appreciate your time as always and digging into your incredible career and I know you've got amazing things coming up so yeah thank you and enjoy the rest of your weekend thank you so much so nice to see you yeah you too you too thank see you later, Karis, I absolutely love that. Um, I am only slightly green with envy that you got to talk to such an incredible talent and a delightfully charming man. But yeah, his choice of boiling point, I don't know why I found that surprising because I suppose I just think boiling point is about my life. So <laughs> why would anybody else be interested? Like what? It's it's about me? Yeah, no, I I'm so happy that he chose boiling point because... I watched this movie, however, it was it's how old is it now? It's 2021. So it's been 18 months, almost two years. And I was blown away by it and um, watched it again. And yeah, I just absolutely adore it. So when he was like, boy, I was like, so excited to dig into this with you, with you more. Um, but especially now with this kind of explosion of seeing more chefing on screen and how it's captured the attention of so many people with the with the success of the bear as well also do you remember that we were sat next to the director philip barantini um at the biffers we were yeah yeah no, he was on the main jury with me very very nice man as lovely was, uh, man yeah very very talented but like i think for me i spent almost all of my 20s working as a chef working in catering working in restaurants doing various things, working in events. And I felt like cinema very rarely captured what it was actually like. And with him, I think you can really see his connection to the material. I mean, like, I was not surprised when I spoke to Philip to discover that he had previously been a chef. Because I think unless you have been in the full nightmare that that <laughs> life is... <laughs> Don't regret my 20s. Absolutely never want to spend one minute as a chef ever again. But it is so stressful. It is so unpleasant. And it is so kind of viscerally, every bit of adrenaline is going through your body and you just cannot believe that the night will ever end. And that's what he kind of gets in this. Um, yeah. And I worked in many restaurants. So this is not just the one. This is strangely just the <laughs> universal experience of being a chef. No, I totally agree. I mean, I I would love to actually hear some of the the places that you've worked. If you're allowed to say, I don't know whether or not you want to air that dirty laundry out on a on a public podcast. But um, I have also had my foray in in um, hospitality in my like early working years, and then kind of doing it throughout uni and stuff. I famously worked at TGI Fridays. Shout out TGIs. Had to sing the happy birthday song probably about fifty times a day, and then would come home stinking of like just grease and food which is another part of it but no I I mean even for me watching that as like a little TGI girl I was watching it being like this this feels very close to home like he he you're completely right in that the fact that it is semi-autobiographical and he's brought a lot of his own experiences to the movie is is why a lot of people see it and immediately connect to it because whatever part of hospitality you've been a part of you understand that utter chaos and it's just you're so right the level of stress and adrenaline pumping through your body when you're on a shift or whatever it is that you're doing is just so perfectly captured and I think that is partly the ensemble performance which is incredible in this but also the fact that he did decide to do it as a as a one-shot take which I think is a really brave decision for a, as a filmmaker a first-time filmmaker and just like technically is very very impressive yeah i mean something like birdman seems to like really just be like the magic of movies these things are not actually done in one take these are seamlessly done which in itself is like an incredible skill but i mean this is genuinely one take and i don't think that's often the case because even like going back to a film i love which is hitchcock's rope i believe they've kind of been a little bit clever and that's like three or four takes and that's also not a terribly as much as I love it, not a terribly dynamic film. It's basic. It does feel like you're kind of watching a staged play. The camera doesn't move in the same way that this does. Part of that, of course, is because of, you know, not having to shoot on film. But like, it's really interesting to see someone like push themselves as much as Philip Barranti has done because he could have kind of taken the easy way out and made it basically one, you know, seem like one take. But yeah. they, they, they probably did 
do it. And like, yes, I'm now looking back on this film, looking back at my time in hospitality and thinking like, was I in a cult? Because in a way it's a cult movie. Like that everybody's just kind of tied up in this like utter madness, but is like determined to serve it. Completely, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So yeah, they they rehearsed. They didn't have that much time to rehearse. I think they had three to four weeks to rehearse everything. Biffa award-winning director of photography, Matthew Lewis, who did all of the camera work there, which was fantastic. But yeah, and then in between rehearsals, the main actors would spend a bit of time, which I think is something that you mentioned that you've done, but kind of chefing for a few hours in Michelin star restaurants to just kind of get the basics down to make it obviously look believable that they are actually chefing while they're doing it. Yes, I saw some excellent folding techniques. I see that it all <laughs> Oh, good. Off okay. 45 degree angles with the whisk because in those restaurants, they will scream at you if you don't. And some good knife skills. I was I was pretty impressed. I mean, okay. I was because revisiting yeah. some trauma, but like, yes, they were very convincing. It was as triggering <laughs> as it was impressive. It was. And it's like, I think if you've worked in that world, there's such a kind of inauthentic depiction of it often on screen I'm thinking of like Monica from Friends who seems to have free time all the time and never be like calloused and dealing with third degree burns up and down her arms and like you know all of those things and has a perfect blowout which I assure you if you spend all of your time in front of a stove does not happen does not happen yeah <laughs> but in like in terms of your role like I mean there's a million films about the magic of movie making. I mean, like, have you ever seen anything that actually also quite authentically captures that, you know, that world or, or that stress? Yeah. What would you do if I was like, uh, Babylon? Yeah, there was just <laughs> just loads of, you know, drugs and madness. No, I will confirm that, that I've never experienced anything close to Babylon. It's a very good question. Do you know what? I think that because of the side of the industry that I am in, which is slightly odd but like film sales and distribution it's not it's not production so i'm not on set every single day i'm not obviously like an actual filmmaker so i'm not you know doing that kind of stuff every day so a lot of it is actually just being in an office which is shocking is not that cinematic so but i was i i am thinking about it and i would say one thing, it's it, the annoying thing is that it's not actually a film about our industry, but I would say I have worked with some people. The Devil Wears Prada. I basically, I, I have been Andy and I have worked for a very, what's her name, Miranda Priestley-esque person in my life, a couple of Miranda Priestley-esque people in my life. I think that kind of, even though that's obviously fashion and whatever, that set up um, and those dynamics and that kind of like level of dedication to the job where you kind of always feel like you're pretty switched on because especially in film you're often talking to people in different time zones and things like that that I definitely see on screen and like that's my trigger I'm like oh god that reminds me of like me however many years ago so yeah I would say I know it's not film but that's probably for me and my personal experience the closest that I've I've seen on screen <laughs> Oh, God. I, I actually had a, a good friend who worked as um, Anna Wintour's assistant for <gasps> two years in New York. And no way. that, plus the terrible kitchens in the Michelin stars that I worked for, I will have to tell you about off screen. Can't wait. <laughs> Not here for being sued by um, high powered listeners who, who, who we might be kind of slightly slandering. But yes, <laughs> it's one of life's great questions, isn't it? Like, are you making inroads in your career or have you accidentally joined a cult yeah <laughs> it's it's definitely worth taking a step back and asking yourself that from time to time hopefully anyone listening to this podcast who needs that moment of realization you're welcome we've just given it to you yeah and if you're gonna join one you know papa in that white outfit and black mirror i mean that's i i probably could be convinced of quite a lot by him 
That outfit, yeah, I feel like I I was really bewildered by the outfit and Boney M generally. But yeah, I was like, oh my God, tell me more about the outfit. That would be a perfect Halloween outfit. Like, what are we doing with it now? Does it have a pride of place in your wardrobe? But um, I'm sad to hear that it was like a 40 degree day and that he was having probably the worst time of his life while shooting that. So poor man. But yeah. Well, he, he suffered, you know, for a for a good, good reason. I don't want yeah. to be like, yeah. Like, you know, Hitchcock was not particularly nice to his actors and he gave us rope, which I very much enjoyed. So if uh, Papa true. has to endure some sweaty white wings <laughs> um, in a bony M tribute, I'm, I'm very glad that he's willing to kind of put himself on the line for us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, his co-star, and I really don't want to butcher her name, she's so amazing, is Anjana Vasan, who's also, again, to link back to our previous episode, the main star of We Are Lady Part. She is so talented. My God. Yeah, if you don't know, she, she recently won an Olivier Award for Streetcar Named Desire. She's everywhere, really. She's in film, she's on stage, she's on screen. I think she was in quite a lot of the recent series of Killing Eve as well, wasn't she, I think? Was that her? I don't think anybody watched the recent series of Killing Eve. I, I mean, that's where it. the hierarchy of TV and film maybe should be mentioned. Yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> but um, no, she's she's just so fantastic. And I, she has such a like long career ahead of her, for sure. But um, yeah, both of them together are great. And obviously it is set in the late 70s and actually to bring it back to Hitchcock it is very reminiscent it's very Hitchcockian is that the right mm. word to use in its film devices and I think it's th it, that's what it's kind of trying to emulate I suppose is that kind of era of horror and thriller and it, I think Charlie Brooker has actually spoken about how he's written you know obviously it's called Black Mirror but that this is a kind of deviation it's called like red the red mirror episodes that are leaning a bit more into that horror thriller space and yeah despite the fact that it is, it is set in the late 70s obviously a lot of it is you know very politically charged and to do with a lot of kind of xenophobia and it's a lot of stuff that I think still feels very relevant now which I guess is kind of the genius of Black Mirror so yeah it's a really it's a really cool episode I really enjoyed it and obviously Boney M, which you just can't go wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's also like really exciting to see, you know, Papa talks a little bit about how he goes back to like short films, but there are kind of other actors that are willing to kind of do a similar thing. I mean, we have Wes Anderson, he's doing kind of a short film for Netflix coming out. And like Almodovar just made a film that I'm very excited to see. I believe a gay cowboy movie with Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal that's coming out. Like it just feels like things are a little bit more fluid. There isn't quite that like hierarchy of the form. I agree. And I, I hope that we see more of that. Yeah, the cowboy short with Ethan Hawke and, and Pedro. When I tell you I was heartbroken to not catch that in Cannes, like genuine tears falling from my eyes. I am so excited to watch it. I think it's going to be so good. But no, totally agree. I think that for a long time, short film has been, I don't know, a bit sidelined from the conversation, a bit sidelined from... I mean, it's definitely there in award shows, but I, I don't know, I, I, I'm really happy to see that it's having a bigger platform and that people are taking it more seriously because I think there's an incredible exercise of discipline, I think, doing a short film and being able to craft a fully formed story in such a short space of time. So I actually think as as a creative that it's it's really interesting. I know that Channel 4 have got a section which people should definitely check out, which is highlighting some of the best short films in the year. And they usually have that on 4AD. So yeah, if you're not sure where to find short films, I mean, even YouTube is a really good place to to find things. I mean, Riz Ahmed's The Long Goodbye, which won an Oscar a couple of years ago now, can't remember, is available on YouTube. And yeah, you can kind of just dip your toes in and see see what you like because they're incredibly varied and you can get like documentary short film as well so yeah there's a lot there's a lot to uncover in the short film world for sure the first way i was introduced to remy weeks who made one of my favorite horror films of recent years his house uh was through his short film which channel 4 commissioned but i guess kind of the thing that i end up kind of not dismissing them as but kind of assuming what they are is kind of proof of concepts like it's like oh this is the thing that you do as a filmmaker to show that you can do something 
and uh, then you get your feature, which is like the proper thing. And like, obviously that's not the case. That's just my silly biases coming into it. But from your perspective, I mean, being the sort of uh, powers that be in the film industry as an executive, like, are they are they important? Like, are people looking at short films and people getting big opportunities off the back of them? Look, I would say your perception is not 100% wrong. Like, I, I would definitely say that from, you know, if you're um, a film sales person, an executive, a financier, an acquisitions person, and someone is coming to you with an idea saying, look, I want to make my feature debut. Obviously, that seems incredibly risky because you don't have anything else to base their work on because at that point they haven't made another feature film before. So, Short films are a perfect example of, yeah, being able to, you know, exhibit your craft and your, yeah, nature in in telling a story. And also um, your ability to work within budgets is something that's very, very important because Christopher Nolan is always a person who is always under budget and is like (laughs) celebrated for that, I think. So, you know, if if you're a filmmaker who can work meticulously to a budget and sometimes come in under budget then people are gonna want to work with you because it is an expensive thing to be making films so yes I think that short films are incredibly important in that and and almost acting as a portfolio for financiers and producers and people to say look okay we can see this person's vision we can understand what they're doing and then gives them a bit more of um a bit more confidence going into a feature film and I think actually we mentioned in Nida's episode that a lot of the people that she worked with on her short film then ended up working on the feature. So yeah, you can bring like the same team with you as well. So it, it does become an incredibly valuable experience. Yeah, I mean, the, it's just that also kind of happened in the same way with actors. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example that's happened recently, but like, I guess because because they're kind of a little bit inside baseball, I suppose these short films, people see them at festivals, people kind of see them within the industry and like, you know, it's people that are really, really invested in kind of the cutting edge of cinema that are watching them. So I guess there are more opportunities for the filmmakers and the actors so much because not so many people are going to like get their eyes on on you and something. Yeah, I think if you're an actor, again, you can definitely use it in a showreel, um, anything that you do for a short film. So it, again, it's definitely very helpful. But yeah, Papa is is funny because he is talking about, you know, that he, he really does do it because he loves it. Because the truth of the reality is that short films are usually on a shoestring budget, barely any money. He's like, you know, most actors are likely not even getting paid or if they are it's you know a very minimal amount um to be able to actually just get it off the ground so they're they're really doing it because they probably have an attachment to the filmmakers or an attachment to the material itself as opposed to wanting to do it to showcase them uh, or you know platform there or like kind of as a stepping stone for their career it's more about probably them as an actor wanting to to challenge that material and see what they can do with it. Well, I know that you're not a big uh, horror person, Karis, but <laughs> there is actually a short film that I did see called The Blackening a few years ago, which is written and starring this guy, Dwayne Perkins. And they've weirdly then, it kind of got taken up and it's coming out in a few weeks. And the director is Tim Story, who is not someone that you go to for, you know, brilliant, tiny indie movies. He is like the billion dollar blockbuster guy. And I tell you, like much like, when I saw Papa in I May Destroy You and I was just like, this guy is a star. This guy, Dwayne Perkins, is an absolute star. And it's like this incredible portrayal of like a queer black man who refuses to be a sidekick, refuses to kind of have himself sidelined and just serve the kind of needs of the other kind of more conventional main characters of the plot. And like, I just think so much exciting stuff has happened when it comes to portrayals of black men and portrayals of black queer men and black masculinity in general. Like Papa really feels like he's been at the forefront of something quite special. Firstly, that sounds incredibly excited. And 
I will be looking out for that. I need to just kind of have a talking to myself in the mirror and be like, stop being a massive baby and just go and watch things. Because uh, there's loads of really cool horror films coming out. Talk to me, which my friends have. Um, oh no, you can't handle uh, talk to me. I know. <laughs> this is the problem. You so, can like, handle close... horror comedy, The Blackening. I'm not. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so annoyed because yeah, it's close friends of mine who have like worked on it for the last 18 months, and they invited me, and I was like, I'm so sorry, but I am such a baby that I actually think that I will be mentally scarred if I watch this film. But I really want to watch it, and I really want to support it. So I just, I basically need to. Um, I was going to say man up, but no, gendered. I need to just be better. <laughs> I just need to be better. But yes, with Papa, I completely agree. And I think that I did mention it in my interview, but I thought that he did this interview with um, Edward Enville, who is the um, editor of British Vogue. And he spoke about how he was so kind of taken away with Papa because he is someone who is so unapologetic in in exploring black vulnerability and, and masculinity, which in a way that I think a lot of people might be scared to do or, or just, yeah, or not have the opportunity to do. And I think you're totally right. He very much has placed himself really bravely at the forefront of that conversation because it's something that unfortunately we are starting to see more now. And again, like with Moonlight, which we spoke about in a previous episode, we are beginning to see this more in mainstream media, but definitely, not enough. And I really, really think that it's really important. Again, it's it's always comes back to a question of like representation on screen and feeling seen on screen. And I think that for a lot of black men, this is their reality, but that's not seen. It's what's generally seen is, you know, top boy and like, you know, that kind of version of masculinity. And, um, you know, it's really exciting that there are more spaces to explore that kind of queer masculinity so yeah i think papa is uh very cool for that yeah not not to bring it all back to kind of tv again like so yes boiling point is now available to watch on netflix as is black mirror highly recommend catching both and am i right Harrison, thinking that boiling point is going to be made into a tv show i can't conceive of how but like i'm on board it is obviously yeah don't want to spoil the ending of boiling point if you haven't already seen it but yes the ending raise some questions, which I think are going to be answered in this five-part series, which the BBC has recently announced. I remember when we were chatting to Philip, he was about to go into production. So yeah, it's all wrapped production. I think it will be coming to our screens very soon. I don't know if there's an exact date as of yet, but yeah, it should be over the next couple of months. But yeah, it will be following the same cast. So Vinette Robinson, who again won the Biffa, she's a fantastic actress who stars across from um, Stephen Graham, she will be reprising her role and I think it will be following her six months on from where the where the film ended. So very exciting. And if you're a big fan of that type of drama on screen, basically if you if you like things that make you feel like you're having a heart attack while you're watching them, then The Bear is also very good, which is on Disney Plus as well, which I think is exploring similar things, but in the US. Well, I mean, plenty of people to go away from. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can I can handle much more of a heart attack after having to rewrite Boiling Point, but you know, and kind of uncut gems in a good way, heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biffa celebrates, promotes, and supports independent filmmaking and filmmakers in the UK. Keep up to date with latest releases and exciting names in independent film by following Biffa on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.